Gugu Yalinji and Wapabara woman Marlene Cummins has accomplished a lot in her lifetime. She's an activist, a mother, a musician, a radio host, an actor, an artist, a cultural educator, and so much more. In 1972, at the age of 18, Marlene was present at the first Aboriginal tent embassy in Canberra. Around one year earlier, she'd become the first female member of Australia's Black Panther Party, modelled on the US Black Power movement of the 60s and 70s. In fact, you might remember the 2014 documentary, Black Panther Woman. It was directed by Rachel Perkins and highlights not just Marlene's involvement in the formation of the Brisbane chapter, but exposed some of the misogyny and violence she suffered within the organisation. I tell you, I'm still a Black Panther woman. I still fight an uncompromising battle for truth and injustice on my people to this day. So when it comes to her music... It's no wonder Marlene was drawn to a style that can speak the language of heartbreak or triumph, hopelessness or defiance. Marlene was drawn to the blues after hearing Ray Charles on the radio and the way he blended the storytelling of country music with a soulful sound. Over the years, she's gone on to share the stage with everyone. Jimmy Little, Kev Carmody, Archie Roach, Ruby Hunter, Christine Arnu. And that's just to name a few. Later this month, she'll be performing at the Sydney International Women's Jazz Festival. And ahead of the show, Marlene spoke with a Ways to Rome commissary about finding her voice in the blues. listen to the wireless as we called it back then the radio but we were always blessed to hear our father playing guitar and he also played trumpet he was a multi-instrumentalist he very very talented my father so here I am listening to the wireless the radio growing up blues wasn't heard on the radio okay blues didn't reach the shores in regards to listening to the radio. Uh, but then what had done it for me was when Ray Charles was in the charts. See, a lot of Aboriginal people were taking to country music because country is like cousin to the blues. And so had we heard blues too, I'm sure we would have taken to that too, like beta honey. And so then I heard Ray Charles because what he did, he took country and he bluesed it up. That's where I, I, I want to, in retrospect, it's like that was the, I think that was that pretty much a defining point when I'm hearing something that I really cottoned on to, you know. And then as we come to the city, I, I heard uh, 
more early stuff, you know. And uh, and but it was, you know, I was going through my own periods of, um, you know, we were we were we were pretty much fragmented by the political landscape at the time. Yeah. You you grew up in Kanamala and you you came to the city. Now, Marlene, I really want you to tell the story. It's legendary. How did you get started playing the saxophone and how did you get your first saxophone? <laughs> oh, dear. Well, I went to um, – I went to uh, – well, I was in this hostel for unmarried mothers, single mothers, Elan Hostel at, in a New Farm in Brisbane. And um, I heard advertise on the community radio there, which actually was supportive of getting Murray Radio off the ground. Uh, they advertised that they're looking for Aboriginal people to come and study music at the Centre for Aboriginal Studies and Music at Adelaide University. So I rang them up and then I kind of, they interviewed me on the phone and then they made the decision to to uh, fly me down because I said, yeah, I want to learn the saxophone. And, uh, <laughs> and that was pretty like a male-dominated instrument, you know, and so they was impressed with that. An Aboriginal woman wants to learn saxophone. So I went down there, yeah, and they took me on and uh, that's where it all started and, yeah, I did my stint down and I come home to Townsville where I was living at the time and felt compelled to go to see Eddie Marber who he had an office in in the city. I went to see him and I said, oh, Uncle Eddie, I did this course down in Adelaide and I learned to play the saxophone, you know, and uh, they're very expensive instruments, Uncle. And I said, oh, I just want to know, can I get a loan or can I get some sort of grant or something, or even, you know, something that I could pay back to get a saxophone because, you know, it's really, it doesn't feel good being without it. And he walked away and he's sit, he sitting there watching me talk and nodding his head like that, smiling. <laughs> I can still see his face. He had a just, just a sort of nice half smile. He said, just wait here and uh, I'll go and see what I can do. And then he come out, he said, he said, see this little machine here? It, they call it a facsimile. Mm. And he's telling me about it, you know, you, you put it in. And I was impressed. He said, yeah, and the people get a printout at the other end. I said, gee, eh? <laughs> That's real clever Migloo stuff. Migloo <laughs> for Whitefellow, you know. And um, he said, yeah, right, and I've got one here too. And he said, well, anyhow, yeah, i done some inquiries and uh, he's talking like this and I'm sitting there watching him now, you know. He, I've done some inquiries and um, what I want you to do is go over to Fretch Music Shop in the arcade over there and you look at them saxophones, I'm listening, listening, and you pick one out and you take one home and I'm like taking it back, you know, kind of thing. And you take one home because I'm going guarantor for you. That's an old system. That means, you know, if, if I fail to pay it off, he's got to pay for it. But if you was a guarantor, you had to have a job and you give him all this person. He did that for me. I'm, I'm just gobsmacked. I was on cloud nine. I think I floated over to that music shop. I just processed again. I just couldn't believe that I could just go into the shop, grab a sex, and then I walked in and then it said, oh, are you Marlene Cummins? I said, yeah, yeah. I said, well, come over here and have a look at the sex. It's like, I'm like, wow, I can't believe this is happening, you know. <laughs> I'm no broke, you know, single mum on the pension. Well, pick one out, Marlene, and we could suggest one for you, blah, 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 blah. 
Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I couldn't believe it. I was light as a feather and I was just all jingly all over and I was carrying that saxophone. This is mine. This is mine, you know. <laughs> and so on my album that eventually came out fast forward many years later, I gave credit to him on my Woman Blues album. It's an amazing story. You you yeah. cruised into his office in Townsville and he went guarantor on a saxophone for you straight away. <laughs> yeah, I didn't have, and I'm walking home and I'm feeling all light and just blissfully alive, holding my own saxophone and... Just, you know, when I got home, just looking at it, a brand new alto saxophone. I still got that saxophone. <laughs> so Corey Woman Blues came out in uh, 2014. You're from up north, right? But you spent most of your life down south. Which one are you, Corey or Murray? See, this is the thing. I was only thinking about this yesterday. I actually, I think it was ABC. I, yeah, it was at ABC many years ago. I sang Murray Woman. I sang Murray Woman. I have developed a relationship with Sydney community which goes back to 1970, okay, when I first come down here. I've lived down here. Well, originally it was it, I was an activist at the time, first recruit of the first and only Black Panther Party in, in Brisbane, well, the Brisbane chapter, and uh, Sammy Watson and Dennis Walker said I was in a relationship with Dennis and uh, I came down here to seek political asylum. And so the and I went home, I'd go home to Brisbane and I'd come back again. And I lived down here. I was in another relationship with a curry guy from down here. Then I'd sort of go I wouldn't last back home in Queensland. It was like this pool. You know, like it was a it was a pool. Uh, uh, and I believe, you know, anyone knows when it's it's right, you know, for you to stay or go. That was always the case. I just always ended up back here in Sydney and I finally dropped uh, anchored in it. But, see, having been brought up in a grassroots household in regards to Aboriginal protocols, I'm living in Koorie country. So I'm down here but I don't take any stand on issues pertaining to the political landscape. You know, I'm a Murray. I know, I, I, I've got to stay within the boundary of a Murray living in Koorie country. This song I'd like to dedicate to Aboriginal women of this country. Aboriginal women throughout history, Truganini, Mamshu, Ujuru Nunako, Ruth Cummins, Kate Elizabeth McCarthy. I sing this song. I sing it for my sisters, who I feel are the backbone of our struggle in this country. Trying to keep it together. Oh, yeah. Everything. Oh, yeah. 
So I chose curry because I was in curry country. I threw in a truganini. Mum Shirl used to growl me when I used to smoke too much yandy, stuff like that, you know. <laughs> and she'd be on, and I respected her for that, you know, for trying to steer me right when I was down here in, in the seventies and living down here. And but Murray at heart. But Murray, yeah. I, I, I'm glad you asked it because I struggle with that. My blues is about putting my Aboriginal woman's stamp on the blues from here, this country. And I pay respect from whence it originated too because as an Aboriginal person, if I'm going to sing songs, music that comes from another country, I've got to acknowledge and pay respects to from whence it come from. There's lots of blues singers running around here uh, in Australia kind of, they give themselves oh, Big Mama this, or they're calling themselves names that are akin to blackness. And I have strong feelings because I'm very passionate about the blues and they're singing about the Mississippi and everything and, like, I don't know, I, ha- I have strong feelings. I've interviewed a lot of musicians. It's that whole theft of blackness yeah. that exists in this country and overseas and it's it's that conquering uh, claiming and owning. But there's people who claim something that's not of their wawa, of their spirit, they'll argue black and blue and they'll probably turn around and call you racist. <laughs> now, we haven't talked about politics much. You've got the song, When Will We Be Paid? Why did you want to include this one? Well, because I'm a big fan of the Staple Singers. And the Staple Singers, they were close friends of Martin Luther King and they they used music uh, as a means of um, uh, songs that were about uh, social injustice on on um, black people from the US. Uh, I chose that song because I had the issue of stolen wages over there and I wanted to sing it for that reason because... Um, that's a big issue here in Australia and um, uh, which affected my family too. My mother and my father uh, being enslaved by the so-called uh, uh, Protection Act. Protection? <laughs> we needed protection. When will we be paid? All I had to change is that is that we have worked, you know, the lyrics, we have worked this country shore to shore. Our women cooked your food, washed all your clothes. We've, I put, we've chipped all your cotton. That cotton root is really hard and you have to chip it out with a pick. I've actually done it myself. It's really hard work in the hot sun. And uh, we've chipped all your cotton and laid the railroad steel, worked our hands to the bone at your laundry mill. When will we be paid for the You know, we have given our sweat and all our tears. We stumbled through this life for more than 200 years. That's all I had to change. We chipped your cotton instead of pick. And we stumbled through this life. And they say, she said, for 400 years. I only had to change two words. It was exactly the same issue with them over there as here. So, you know, it's that, it's that common ground blues that we have. You know, if anything, myself as an Aboriginal person can um, find that camaraderie, that common ground. We have worked this country shore to shore Our women cooked your food And washed all your clothes You've chipped all your cotton 
Now, another one I really want to talk about is uh, Boomerang Alley. So this one sounds like a very traditional kind of 12-bar feel. There's no saxophone on it. No. How did this one come together? That song is where I grew up on a fringe camp uh, in outback Queensland in a town called Winton. That's actually the home of Walsy Matilda. It's a very hot and dusty little town and you could... Um, walk from one end to the other end in probably uh, less than an hour, maybe, yeah, less than an hour. You could walk from one end to the other end. It's still like that. Uh, uh, Boomerang Alley paints a picture of the campsite. They're all real characters. I remember Harry Isles in his dapper suit, uh, Gordon Fish in his old blue ute, Seifer and Johnny living in their tent, Auntie Amy Doyle. Auntie Amy Doyle was a pretty much a matriarch on the campsite and Harry Oz, no matter where he went, he always wanted to wear a suit <laughs> and he was so handsome. He always wanted to wear a suit and I was very infatuated by him. He looked like a movie star. Oh, really? And I was a young kid. I was, I was like, I was just like, ah, uh, you know, what do you call it? <laughs> infatuated, yeah. Starstruck. Uh, starstruck, yeah. He was so handsome. He was so nice and friendly, you know, and he'd always smile. And... um so it, it I, what I basically did was I did it sort of that that song is pretty much like a foot stomp, you know, the, the, in the tradition of foot stomp blues. It's kind of country bluesy foot stomp style, and um, and I wanted to, I just wanted to. My blues is about my life. I remember Harry Arles in his dapper suit and Gordon Fisher in his old blue ute. Seifer and Johnny living in their tent. Auntie Amy Doyle, Ada and Billy Kemp. Best years of my life in Boomerang Alley. At night there was a movies and the old picture show. It didn't have no roof and everyone would go. My daddy used to jam at Ducko Fraser's house. With Richard Martin slide and the playing was grass. Best years of my life was hearing Guitar Boogie. Play that Guitar Boogie. Now, you said before blues is about your life. A bit of this album comes from a, a hard place, right? See? Well, yeah. Well, here's the thing. Um, Blackfellas, you know, like the most compounding uh, aspect of our survival is sense of humour. Always has been. <laughs> so, you know, like, I, yeah, I wrote a song about being on the pension and my son's father. You know, I met him in a nightclub where all the Blackfellas used to go, you know, and uh, he was this tall, handsome Aboriginal and he was a bouncer at the door. But he'd been to Vietnam, see. But, uh, you know, like when you're young, oh, you get drawn to a, you know, good-looking um, person or tall, whatever. Tall, dark and handsome, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and uh, he, he was good. He played football for uh, the Aboriginal uh, football group up there and he was that sort of all-Australian Aboriginal guy. <laughs> yeah, like, but he'd been to Vietnam. He was he was battered and he was beaten and he was, you know, like, and he'd, he'd been over there and I, and I wasn't thinking about that. He wasn't capable of maintaining, you know, like a lot of Aboriginal people went over to the Vietnam War, although they didn't really have to, but the, here's the thing. The Vietnam War was dressed up as a career, a job, money and all that. So you Travel, travel see, see the, the world. world. That's how they dressed it up, you know, Uncle Sam and all that. So Vern went over on that strength, the father of my son and... We weren't able to um, maintain a relationship and he was just, yeah, he was a bit of a, what do you call him? Uh, <laughs> you know, he could charm the girls, you know, and <laughs> women would be buying him drinks, you know. <laughs> and uh, seeing so the thing, I remember calling out to him one day and said, you know, pension day, you know, pension day in our communities. It's, it's, not, it's something else. It's one day we could just kind of be feel good and probably, yeah, vulnerable women, you know, buy the men drinks or whatever. And then I remember him leaving um, after he, you know, we didn't last our relationship, but he sort of, we sort of had a straggly relationship and he'd kind of come around pension day, you know, and I kind of hollered at him and I said, I'm sick of you. You only love me pension day. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so when I went to Chasm, you know, like I was asked by the music teacher, oh, you want to do blues? And I said, yeah. And, and she said to me, you know, we're talking about the blues. I said, yeah, I've got a lot of blues situation I can relate to. She said, tell me about it. Oh, well, yeah, the sweet talking Murray man. So, uh, yeah, I wrote that. And um, I just... Uh, that when I chose to play in the blues band, we had to just our, our first exercise was to go home and write a blues song. So I wrote that was the first blues song I ever wrote, Pension Day Blues, and it was an immediate hit with the Blackfellow community. song is, I'll tell you a little yarn, um, I, I had the privilege to meet Eric Burden and the animals, you know, the guy that sang House of the Rising Sun. And um, uh, this, you know, he's part of my um, life, what do you call it? He's in the soundtrack of my life. And I had, 
House of the Rising Sun, you know, I loved that when I was young. Um, and I, I actually like Eric Burden and animals. I've actually seen them perform at Festival Hall in Brisbane because growing up into a teenager, ever since then, all my life, my family's like it. We go and see live music. We go and see live music. And I've seen all them old bands from the 60s. Uh, I've seen Bill Haley and the Comets and all these old rock and roll bands. And um, anyhow, Jan and was Eric Burden. And I was telling him about, you were talking about our music talking to him, I said, you know, and I wrote this song, Pension Day Blues, you know, and everywhere I go, all my people sing out, sing Pension Day Blues, sing Pension Day Blues, and I'm sort of like, oh, I get sick of singing that song. You know, I want to sing all this new stuff, a bit of funky sort of stuff too, you know, up-tempo sort of stuff. Um, Songs like Some Kind of Wonderful, which is on the album and that. And, um, but the, you know, I always get that cry, uh, sing Pension Day Blues. He said, that's incredible you're telling me that. And I said, why? He said, because that's what I get. Everybody sings out, sing House of the Rising Sun. <laughs> sing House of the Rising Sun. And he said to me, Marlene, you ought to embrace that. And I said, because, you know what, I have a very similar story to you because I got sick of that, singing that. But that was the song that made me. And I said, oh, why, really? Well, Pension Day Blue made me too, not on the calibers made you, like international fame, but pretty good in my own community in Australia. You said, yeah, dead right. So you sing that good as you can every time you, uh, you know, and I, and I do now. are you doing with the Sydney Women's International Jazz Festival? What's your performance going to look like? I will um, present myself. The first song will be Pension Day Blues because I'll say, I'll introduce the song and tell them this is the first blues song I ever wrote. I was at the Centre for Aboriginal Studies and Music. I was told to go home and write it. So I dedicate this song to my son's father. My man only loves me pension day. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the blues. There's the other side of the tracks stuff, you know. But I don't want to give too you asked me a question about what will I be forming. I don't I don't want to give too much away. But I'm going to start the show off with a traditional song for my country, a blessing song for the audience. So this song, Go in an Army, when uh, Aboriginal people, when we come together, we do have a, a, a ceremony of such or a song for the fact that when people come together, you, you know, uh, you want to, 
you know, people are, you don't know what people are carrying around with them. They could be upset or they're not feeling right. So you, what you do, you, you perform a, a, a sort of like a washing of everybody's insides mm. to clear that all away, you know, out of the room and so we can all come together in this good place. And so uh, in that regard, this song, I will perform it at my gig at the Seymour Centre. It's called Gary Nanami before I start my show. Because that's what I do, I incorporate my culture, not just the songs, but before I perform as with traditional protocol. That was Guga Yalanji and Wapabara musician and activist Marlene Cummins speaking with Away's Jerome Commissari. You can see Marlene at the Sydney International Women's Jazz Festival on the 27th to the 29th of October at the Seymour Centre. Or if you're lucky and keep an ear out, you might find her busking near Central Station on Gadigal Country, like I did this week. <laughs> 